Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mikado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 184. So Rob Herman is going to join me today for a bit of a mixed bag of market chat. We're going to talk about the impact of the Aussie dollar value on commodities, the supply and demand balance for the lamb market, and lo and behold, some positive findings in the cross-bred bull market. So one of the other big stories from last week was some pretty surprising news that shook up the grain market. With the Ukraine war taking a slice of the world's wheat supply off the table, India was emerging as a potential saviour to the trade as a really big exporter, but that prospect was completely shut down with an announcement from the Indian government that they would be banning wheat exports immediately after a heatwave slash production expectations. So this caused wheat futures to rally, as we could expect, but it was pretty short-lived with some more details about the ban emerging throughout the week, which softened the reaction. There was also news that the UN is negotiating with Russia and Ukraine, which also caused wheat and corn to tumble late last week. So the premise of those negotiations is to allow Ukrainian exports back through the Black Sea and to grant Russian exports of fertiliser. Many analysts have also upped production forecasts for the Russian wheat crop. So lots of moving pieces in this space to watch for at the moment. And for a full breakdown, you can head to the Mercado website. But now we'll bring in Rob and get to today's episode. Today's sponsor of Commodity Conversations is Cleaver's Organic Meats. All Cleaver's products are sourced from Australian family-owned farms, where animals are raised in free-range environments, are grass-fed from start to finish, and meet the strict animal welfare requirements of the Australian Certified Organic Standard. They offer a wide range of delicious lamb, beef and chicken products. Jump on their website to learn more at www.cleaversorganics.com.au Rob, it's great to be back here. I've had a few weeks off now, so good to be back with you on Commodity Conversations to catch up. It is good to have you back, Liv, and um, and congratulations on um, becoming a married woman now. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Very no, exciting. It was a good day. It was um, not the best weather, but we made the most of it anyway. And I think there was even a mention of the price of heifers and, and wool <laughs> in my father-in-law's speech. So we got a bit of a shout out there. <laughs> Yeah, we did. And look, it was just great. Um, so congratulations. Congratulations to you and Ryan. You know, it's fantastic. And uh, we're all very happy for you. But Liv, we've got to keep talking about agricultural things again. Now that you're back, get your um, get you back in the swing of things. I know. And, and lots to catch up on. And one of the things that I was watching and seeing on the news over the last few weeks, one of the main po- talking points really is the decline in the Aussie dollar. And we all know what sort of impact that can have on commodity prices. So do you think we're seeing much of that flow through happen locally yet? Well, it's certainly supportive of our export commodities. We, we know that. And you're right. It's been about, uh, look, it's been about an 8% fall in the last six weeks. And I was looking at Angus's article talking about how, um, you know, the, the Aussie dollar should be a boost for cattle. Um, at the moment, we've, there are a lot of pressures on the markets, on, on meat markets, especially mainly due to processor capacity. And so they, they don't help the market, but having a, a lower dollar, which means that our 
beef can be sold to higher prices in export markets or it's more competitive uh, is certainly supportive of the market and we saw that i think in um in the uh, sheep market this week as soon as the pressure of supply came off um, the market jumped quite considerably and uh, you know we were in the market this week with some uh, you know selling some uh, mutton some some weathers and uh, you know you couldn't have picked a better week uh, in the last few months and you know it was significant that as soon as the pressure came off of supply in the market uh, with this uh, weaker dollar it, uh, it lifted. And, and just talking about supply, it just shows you at this time of the year um, how, how fragile supply is to some degree. And I know this year has been a little bit different because we had carry over sheep and lambs from last spring where people held them over. You know, there's a bit of pushback with processes got full and also there was good seasons where people held them on. But there was a report this week that the um, boat coming from Tasmania, which normally brings... Um, uh, lambs and sheep to uh, direct to processes here couldn't come across because the sea was too rough. And all of a sudden you had that increased demand in the market with um, those that kill space having to be filled by livestock out of the market. So, uh, yeah, so look, it's positive. Um, again, you know, Australian farmers are benefiting from, you know, a bit of global uncertainty that is pushing our dollar down and, uh, and, and that, that's just the way it works. And it's interesting, Rob, because it doesn't um, have that uh, positive effect across all segments of agriculture, though, because if you look at, say, feedlotters that are buying in grain, it might not be such a positive thing. No, that's exactly right. And, and grain's one that we, you know, we talk about a lot now, and especially since the Ukraine-Russian uh, conflict has been going, we've talked about grain a lot. Um, again, we saw grain markets um, rally quite strongly and uh, in, in a volatile time, though, we've got to say that, you know, the bouncing around, look, by the time somebody listens to this podcast, live the market, grain market will have moved again. We know that's how, how volatile it is and how uh, much uh, movements are being seen. But um, we saw wheat uh, for, for new season's wheat, like harvest uh, grain that's just being planted and be, to be harvested at the end of the year. Uh, wheat hit $500 a tonne, canola hit $1,100 a tonne. Now, as you point out, that's fantastic for producers if you're growing that, but if you're a feedlot, you're looking at that with a lot of concern. The balancing thing, though, is that the heavy cattle, which, which make up most of feedlot cattle, are all export-directed, you know, to uh, Korea, um, Japan, a lot to Japan, um, some to China. But... Um, they would certainly be benefiting from this uh, more attractive and more favourable exchange rate. And what about wool, Rob? Because we know there's a big export exposure there. So has that been really volatile in response as well? It hasn't been so volatile, um, which which is interesting. And I think that's because the, the um, effects on the wool market are pretty evenly balanced. So, for example, we know we've got processor constraints in, uh, in China, you know, there's, there's things there are interrupting their ability to, you know, efficiently process day after day after day. Um, we also know that uh, the cost of financing um, and, and is, is greater at the moment. And the reason it's great, or one of the biggest influences that, that's pushing on that factor is that it's taking longer for the wool to get from, uh, you know, the auction floor to the 
processor, whether it's um, domestic uh, freight here, getting it through the dumps into the port, or whether it's getting containers back from overseas to fill, it's taking longer, which means the finance that exporters have to put up is out for longer. So that's, that's more costly. But what we did see was that um, even though um, you know, we had, we've got, we know we've got a strong fine wool market at the moment. We saw fine wool premiums actually rise a little bit. And when I was, I was looking at Andrew Wood's article, when we looked at it, it wasn't that the fine wool premium rose in terms of uh, US dollars or euros. So, you know, in, in our buyer's currency, it didn't rise, but it rose in terms of Aussie dollars, which is what our farmers get paid in because of the currency. So, again, that's a direct impact. Um, but look, enough from me, Liv. Tell us a little bit about the um, the lamb market. And I noticed that uh, you know Angus led off with an article today saying that um, you know the problem isn't lamb export demand. So if it's not lamb export demand, what's he talking about, Liv? <laughs> yeah, well, if you look at the price of lambs at the sale yard at the moment, it's not the happiest of pictures compared to where they have been in recent years. And for a while now, we have been blaming that higher supply and all the limitations in processing. And so what Angus was talking about is when he looked at the latest export data, it definitely confirms that that's the case because the export story alone really is a story of quite strong demand. So if you look at lamb export volumes for um, for the month of April, they were pretty steady to what we saw last year and, and pretty close to the average uh, levels for that time of year. But if we're looking at the whole year to date, we've actually shipped more lamb overseas than last year. But the interesting part is that uh, when we're translating that into dollar value for our exports on a cents per kilo basis, the export values have actually been hitting record highs so we're seeing larger volumes of lambs being sent overseas and larger prices in export markets. So putting that together, it's stronger demand. But then, like we said at the start, you look at the sale yard prices and we've really seen demand weaken this year. So despite that price decline at the sale yard, it is really a positive story out of export markets. It's interesting that Angus also put up a chart that I hadn't seen before, but it was the Eastern States Trade Lamb Indicator Discount to Export Value. Can you just talk us through that a little bit, Liv? Yeah, and he used it as a rough guide, and I mean rough guide, as mm. to process the margin. So you take the trade lamb price as the buy price and the export values as a rough sell price. And of course, there's plenty of costs in there and a lot more costs because of COVID compliance and labour issues that have been eating into those margins. Sure. But the discount between those export values and the SLE, it's been about 400 cents year to date and then 500 cents in March, which is huge. And if you look back and compare that to history, the bottom of the range is usually only about 300 cents. So what we use that as a bit of an indicator for is that there is a fair bit of upside if either processes are able to lift up their kill rates or if lamb supply tightens. Yep, exactly. I uh, know that's a good explanation, Liv, and it does show, it, again, we, this article was written early in the week and then we saw this week that, in fact, the sort of thing, the sort of um, event you were talking about actually came through. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting and 
Look, Rob, I do want to come back to the wool market because I've heard there is a bit of positive news for crossbred wool and we haven't had that for a while. So tell us what's going on there. Well, yeah, look, and um, <laughs> it's funny when we go and talk to farmers and we're, and we're asked to go out and talk to groups all the time, it comes up all the time now because we have had a swing towards crossbred wool production because people are, are swinging towards producing prime lambs. And then the question comes up and says, oh, what about our wool? You know, when we started making these decisions to go across to crossbreds, the crossbred wool market was very strong. And so you had the double incentive of strong crossbred prices and strong meat demand. That that crossbred market has really fallen away. And, you know, when we talk to Andrew Woods about it, it, it's very difficult to put your finger on the exact reasons for it. It's not really an oversupply situation in context of world demand, um, but the reality is that it's flat. Uh, sorry, it's fallen. It's remained flat, and it just doesn't look like there's a lot of movement in it. However, one of the things that we have talked about a little bit is the Responsible Wool Sourcing Program. Now, this is a quality assurance program. It can apply to any type of wool, or any wool, or wool from any type of sheep. In fact, the, the auditors of that program also globally um, audit lots of different fibres, so that cotton, um, mohair, uh, even duck feathers, which, you, which we might talk about one other day perhaps. But um, if we look at, if, if you're a crossbred producer and you can meet the criteria for the Responsible Wool Sourcing Program, and you put your wool into the auction market now with that accreditation, you're really starting to see some serious premiums over the standard crossbred wool. And so what Andrew did was had a look at, at these premiums. Um, he said they've, they've appeared mainly in the second half of the season, but they had already been appearing in New Zealand and in the uh, South African wool clip. And the premium is generally between 100 and 150 cents per kilogram clean for that for the 22 to 32 micron ranges, which really picks up the majority of the crossbred wool in Australia. So that's quite a significant improvement. Um, it looks like that they're, they're in the order of 34 to 40%. So if you were to say to somebody that, you know, for, for having a similar product, but with a quality assurance program attached to it, that you would get a 30 to 40% premium, I think we'd all say that's a pretty strong market signal. Yeah, and from memory, Rob, uh, looking at some of the other fibres and the premiums for RWS, they were, there were still premiums available there and you could definitely see them, but 30 to 40% for crossbred seems like a pretty big uh, premium there. It, it is a big premium. Of course, remembering that the, the crossbred wool price is probably the lowest priced fibre that, <laughs> that gets accredited under RWS. So, uh, you know, 30 to 40 does that's probably talking it up a little bit in terms of making it sound spectacular. But that said, you know, a dollar to a dollar fifty per kilogram clean um, is is a pretty good incentive if you've got the sheep and the uh, management programs that suit that. And and if anyone's listening and and would like to know more about that, you know, talk to your wool broker. Certainly, the the, the wool brokers um, and and we're involved with Nutrien, obviously, but certainly Nutrien has got. Um, the ability to help people understand how they can become a part of a program like this. And, and then you can make the judgments for yourself whether, the, whether going into that program is for you. And we can talk about what sort of premiums are being seen in the auction market, which is great. 
The, the only other point I'd make that we need to add to this, Liv, and all of the RWS programs are driven by the customer. So it's the, it's the end user who says, um, look, I recognize that I can get an advantage from attaching a QA program to my, um, my sales, my retail sales. And so I'm prepared to actually identify that product as the only product I'll use. And so that means you've got this, um, this, this growing demand for a product uh, from the customer uh, in, into, uh, against what is at the moment a constrained supply. Yeah, and it certainly seems the way of the future for these fibre um, you know, end products and brands that uh, these sort of sustainability programs uh, being attached to their product are really important and going to get more so. They are, and I've got to say um, the older codgers like myself who have been around the wool industry for a long time were probably a little bit surprised how significant this program this RWS, Responsible Wool Sourcing, has how, how much impact it's had. We're, we've, we've been around, for, well, we're old codgers, so we've been around a while in the wool industry and, you know, the industry has struggled and tried to actually generate this sort of price differential for a long time and hasn't been able to do it. And then, so we sort of thought, oh, well, it's just, it's all too hard and it won't happen. But this has been a really welcome surprise in some areas and it's and it's a really a, a welcome market signal for those people who can meet those those criteria uh, you know it, people who look at it will see that it is that, that there are certain aspects of it that are more difficult um but you know it's about weighing that up live against um, the potential benefit and also you know your appetite to sort of be more connected with the client uh, with the customer further down the line there you go. Change does happen even in the wool market. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Liv. Well, well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Rob. It's good. A 10-minute podcast, 10 to 15 minute, and I'm all caught up on what's happened over the last few weeks. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks and welcome back, Liv. Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription, which will give you full access to all our archive of reports, as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again, and until next week, take care.